Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. So if you've been listening the last few weeks, you know that we have kind of parked our pre-recorded episodes to bring you timely episodes regarding what's going on in the world right now, because the world has changed quite a bit since we first started this podcast and over the last few weeks. Today, we want to turn our attention toward boundaries, which is something that we work with our clients on all the time anyway. But Cam and I are both noticing for ourselves and for our clients that the need to pay attention to and set healthy boundaries is more important now than ever, now that we're sort of quarantined with the people we're with. There are no natural boundaries of my family goes to work in school and I stay home. We're all here all the time. And there's also dynamics with extended family or friends where people have different opinions about what's going on or different ways of coping with things than we might. And all of those things bring up some interesting issues around boundary management and taking good care of ourselves, recognizing what we can and cannot control and recognizing what we need. I'm certainly noticing that my needs are changing and evolving in this situation. And my husband's are as well. And we're just kind of trying to adapt to this new normal together and find a way to coexist peacefully in a way that serves <laughs> both of us. <laughs> coexist. Very nice. Yes. That's a bumper sticker, right? With the, the coexist. Yeah, we're, 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 we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But we're, uh, you know, we're, we're actively working on it. So Cam, you, you had a client say something that kind of brought this up for you. And you're the one that brought this topic today. So why don't we start there by sharing that conversation with that client? Because it was really kind of interesting what he had to say. Yeah. Whenever my clients say something, I just, I, I will, it's like, wow, can, can I share that? That was really nice. I think the greater population would really benefit from that articulation or part of our model of understand, own, and translate is this really wonderful translation. Yeah. Um, and so I, I will often say, hey, <laughs> you know, can, can I use that? And they're fine with that. And if they're not, then I don't. But what he said was, again, someone who is uh, home with, with his wife and um, with, with this, you know, with, with our social distancing, you and I were talking about you know, it, it creates some social overlapping. Get in these sort of closed quarters. And as we're spending time with each other, there's a lot of overlap that is occurring, bumping into, and, and hence the, the focus on boundary management. I, I will say, if you're having a visceral response to that term boundary management, just, just sort of recognize that. And um, we don't look at boundary management like building walls. We don't look at boundary management as this sort of conventional thing or that, you know, neurotypicals do. And, and uh, those of us with ADHD don't. Boundaries can be extremely dynamic and fluid. And, and there's a couple things that we're going to point to today that could really help you in actively managing boundaries. And it can be actually a positive thing. So, he uh, was relaying a story about sort of just kind of sharing a uh, sharing with his wife 
and caught himself. And he said, you know, Cam, you know how small children have have a, they don't really have a body awareness. It's like, I feel like that at times I don't have a brain awareness. But in this moment when he was sort of oversharing with his wife about some situation, and she had just sort of had enough and said, you know, that's, I really, I'm I'm full. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) It's like at that moment, I was aware of how much space my mind was taking up in the room. And I was like, wow, there's that, that's a great statement right there. Recognizing having the awareness and understanding of just this, that, that image of that brain or that mind kind of, kind of, kind of uh, enveloping or consuming the, the oxygen in the space. And, and just to like, oh, okay, there it is. And uh, how do I reel that in a bit? So that was our discussion last week. And I think that with him, it was, it really started with that awareness piece. Number one, not getting defensive, but sort of considering her input and then really starting to communicate about that. Um, what would be a better situation there and, and really pulling in this, this concept of context. You, know, you and I are big fans of context. And I think with context, there's a great context question here of what does this moment call for right now? Is it a matter of me venting and, and sharing, right? Do I have to do that to manage or, or, or meet a need? But what is my partner wanting? Am I stepping on their toes in some way? Or is this dynamic stepping on their toes? There's too much overlap. And it was fascinating as he was discussing what they were talking about, it was really around like what, when, and how in the sense of kind of being selective in what he shares. Okay. You know, last talk, last week we were talking about missing behavior and it's that missing behavior here was kind of inhibiting the sharing, right? He can have the thought, but it's like, do I have to share everything with my partner? And I think that that can be a, a situation where it goes both ways. As we were discussing before, you don't have to have ADHD to be the one who's, you know, the fire hose sharing so much stuff. How many bread Homemade bread delivery, people. Did you get that? World homemade bread delivery. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Oh, speaking, speaking of social overlap, I think we might leave that in. I, I, we might leave that in. It's a beautiful, beautiful bread my 11-year-old just made. And yeah, uh, so yeah, there was some great social overlap <laughs> right there. So I want to point out some of the things that I'm noticing in that anecdote, Cam. So the first one is the fact that in this social overlapping, the way that we all get our needs met, our social needs, our needs to articulate, to vent, to lean on. Those have gotten a lot smaller as we have access to fewer people. And so we are relying more on the people in our households, the people in our quarantine circles, if you will. And that is bringing up some interesting challenges like the one you describe with your client. The next thing I'm noticing is ownership. 
this story very much reminded me of the story you told about you and your wife when you came to the big awareness that you don't complete. You're not working because there's no money in the bank account. Now, you could have gone defensive. Your client could have gone defensive here, but you were both in that place of ownership and ready to hear the other person and to use that opportunity to create awareness about what's going on for you. And in this case, for your client, about how much space his mind and his thoughts and his articulation can take up in a room, which is really cool stuff. So something I do want to point out here is that sort of need for articulation is not necessarily just an ADHD thing because we have the opposite thing happening in my household. I had to kind of set the reverse boundary. My husband is a big consumer of news and always has been. He's a software engineer. So when he's waiting for code to compile, he is reading the news. And often throughout the day when he was going to the office, he would text me here and there, sort of little tidbits or a link to an article or a little discussion about this or that that's happening in the world. And he would, you know, if I didn't answer, he knows that I'm working too. I might be with clients or engaged in something else and that was okay. So there was sort of a natural boundary there because I could choose to engage or not engage and he was fine either way. But now that he's home all the time, he wants to talk about his worries and his concerns and what he's read. And with a very, I hate to say it, but very sort of pessimistic spin. My husband can tend towards pessimism and I tend to be an optimist. So I had to set a hard boundary there because it's like every time you start down this road, I feel my anxiety levels rising. So I understand that you have a need for a soundboard here, that that is a very powerful need for, for you. But that need is giving me powerful anxiety. I cannot be the person to fill that need for you. Who can fill that need for you? Let's not make it your mom. Your mom's also prone to anxiety. She's prone to worry. Let's not, let's not do that to mom. But what about your dad? Your dad's definitely in the school of cooler heads prevail. He's pretty, pretty unflappable, pretty hard to shake or freak out. So maybe that's the guy that you can call and fill this need with because I really need to take it in very limited doses. I can do it for you occasionally, but I've got to monitor my own anxiety here. And I need to put that need to keep anxiety in check ahead of your need. Because if I don't, I'm going to have a panic attack. I really like the process you just laid out with respect to Again, it wasn't this. When you say I laid down a hard boundary, it wasn't like uh, uh, just a, this definitive no. Yeah, shut up, honey. <laughs> shut up. I'm not shut listening the, to you. Shut, shut the up. hell up. Uh, shut the hell up. <laughs> <laughs> Done Speak with you. Hand. <laughs> <laughs> but that really being clear on what matters to you, how it's impacting you, and then looking at alternatives. That, that he has a need, part of, part of, you know, sort of checking in is sort of his own way of communicating. He has a need there. And it's like, well, where can we redirect that to? 
Right, because that's I'm, how he manages his anxiety is by verbalizing it. Verbalizing it is a way to get it in check and let it go a little bit. Right. And so a lot of respect in that interaction there, respecting each other's needs. And, and I, you know, it's really fascinating. Last week we talked about missing behavior, a part of that damn acronym of distracting, avoiding, missing. It was sort of not letting it sit and fester but kind of this awareness, aware of it, and then making it actionable. How can we take this and, and move this forward? Not just put up a wall. Boundary management is not just wall building. You think about like, again, this membrane that you're allowing certain things to come through, but other things are not coming through. So um, there's another term that I use frequently with my clients when we're talking about boundary management. And that is the notion of managing expectations. Mm. So this is the practice of identifying, knowing yourself. This is the stuff of understanding and owning and knowing yourself to the point that you know what you're capable of and how you can show up for people. And you can manage expectations around that so that it's not a hard no I won't do that. I can't do that. I'm putting up a wall. It's a adjustment. And the example I give to my clients is one that's very relevant to our work. I communicate with my clients via Slack, which is a chat program. And I do that for my own boundary management because I hate email. I absolutely cannot stand email. I don't like writing emails. There's something about in this modern world where most of our communication is informal. You send a text message, you say what you need to say. You don't have a lot of extraneous stuff. But you send an email and there's still some remnants of old school letter writing. Hello, how are you? How have things been since we last talked? Blah, blah, blah. Now let me get to what I actually want to say. And I just, that in and of itself creates such a barrier for me to actually getting emails sent that I want to be out of email as much as possible. So I use Slack with my clients. That is both a boundary I set up and it is an expectation that I manage because I communicate that during our consultation so that my clients know you have unfettered access to me anytime you want. You can send me messages anytime, day or night. I look at Slack multiple times a day and I will be there for you. You are going to get that communication. It just needs to come in this form. This is the form that works for me. Managing expectations and <laughs> given, given this moment, managing expectations real time, that expectations, an expectation that I have today might be different tomorrow might yeah. be different the next day. And so allowing that to happen, I think that there's another thing is that we will want to try to establish it and then be upset with ourselves that we can't meet that expectation. And so being in touch with what is possible now, going back to that question that I posed right before my daughter came in with our, our first COVID uh, homemade bread. <laughs> what does this moment call for right now? What does this moment call 
for me right now. It's a great little pause to check in the needs that are getting met, the needs that are not getting met, the expectations that I'm working toward and making those adjustments. Here we are again in uncharted territory and that we really need to be thinking about, do I have an expectation here that I'm going to just show up the same way, the same role? What adjustments can we make here? And who do I want to communicate that to? I think that that communication piece, so you sort of think about the process here. It's our own kind of understand, own, and translate process. But communicating that with the people we are overlapping with. It's kind of like playing um, hide and seek or, or you know, it's, it's like we all have blindfolds on in a room full of furniture and we're trying to kind of navigate. We're going to bump into each other. And we bump into each other, recognizing that the, if we get our shin kicked, ow, you know what? I don't want to be the soundboard. All right, I really can't be the soundboard. And what's an alternative there? Yeah. And as far as what this moment calls for, I have an experience of my own to share there too. Last week, I talked about my dad, who is in his 70s, who is on oxygen at night, who was in the hospital a couple of years ago for two weeks with congestive heart failure. So he is very high risk. And my parents early on were sort of of the school of, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's no worse than the flu. And I pushed there because it called for that. And thankfully, I was heard. And as the situation escalated, they now recognize that this is more serious than the flu. We do need to be more careful. But for my dad, being more careful still involves going to the grocery store once or twice a week. Meanwhile, I want to put him in a bubble. I don't want him to go anywhere. I don't want him to see anyone. I don't want him to touch anything. I want him to stay inside of his own house. But I can't control that. That is an area in which I tried to push. And we got into an argument. And I realized I can't push here. Because if I push, it's just going to end with my dad and I being upset at each other. And me being anxious about the situation. I've said what I can say. I've relayed the information that I can relay. I've communicated what best practices are to him. I can't make him follow those. And if I continue to try, I'm going to make both of us more miserable without changing the outcome. So this moment calls for me to accept that I don't have control or leverage here. And I just need to be okay with that. And as I said last time, the control that I do have is talking to my dad a little bit more, you know, making sure that I pick up the phone when he calls if I can, even if we're just going to say hi. Not like we have a lot of news to share these days, but, you know, even if it's just five minutes, just making sure that I'm making that time. That's what I can do. I think that taking a look at our metaphor of the cause and our cause and effect metaphor with the lunch counter, that and you're having your social overlap, not you, excuse me, but listeners are having their social overlap and, and experiencing it down in manifestation where the stub toes hurt feelings and to start to walk up toward the lunch counter 
to get up to the lunch counter around again, lunch counter is that place where our level one symptoms present. It's what's in the DSM five distractibility, impulsivity, oversensitivity, emotional regulation. And to be curious about the other side, is there a missing behavior? Is there something up on the slopes at cause that is, that is creating this? And if we do some work up there, that we might be able to mitigate some of the challenges that come with this social overlapping or this sort of uh, bumping into each other in the dark. And so again, coming back to, I think when you talk about managing expectations, that's something that we don't typically do. We tend to be great responders. We would, we respond to expectations, but do we build expectations? Do we build those out and really share them? That's more proactive. I will say that just because we don't do it doesn't mean we can't. We can. Taking a moment, uh, I'm just thinking about another client. Another client, there's one move he did that was really instrumental. And the whole idea is, again, uh, one of my old colleagues, Kate Kelly, used to talk about putting my oxygen mask on first. Put your oxygen mask on first before you put someone else's on. And he just realized that if he didn't get up and have about 30 minutes to kind of set himself up for success, he was always in this kind of respond mode all the way through the day, responding to the kids' needs, responding to the kids' expectations, and always a half a step behind. When in fact, when he could just get up and do a little meditation, do a little planning, attaching some specific action to his intentions for the day and start the day that way, it made all the difference in the world. And so that exercise is going and kind of considering expectations for the day. What does the day call for? How can I show up today given how I'm feeling? As you said, man, we're, we, we are human. We have a desire for connection. We also have a desire for taking care of ourselves. ADHD disrupts that ability to see what is actually going on. It creates a barrier to our own awareness. That's probably one of the most frustrating things about having ADHD. And secondly, then doing something about it. A, a, a one-two whammy there. Not knowing what's going on, not aware of what's happening, and then not being able to do something about it when you do know what's going on. But being patient with yourselves, listeners, and to really think about this day and this moment and what boundary is really necessary. Oh, I want to bring in something else too, Shelly. And that's the... The whole, like, uh, I'm not worthy yeah. of boundaries. The manifestation where we kind of give ourselves to others, sort of like the rescuer, yeah. there to serve others and take care of others, but we don't take care of ourselves. And it could be a lack of boundary awareness. It could also could be a, a self-esteem, self-confidence piece. And this... I'm not worthy talk. 
that's going on. So I think that we're all worthy. We all have needs. And those needs need to have some level of protection. Protection in the sense of just that they're safe and they have a chance of happening, of that those needs have a chance of getting met. You can't do that if we are, if you are putting yourself out there and servicing other people's needs. Yeah, I have a new client sort of in that place right now. As we started to talk about her big agenda, she recognized that she hadn't been taking care of herself for years. And it's a pattern that we can fall into without realizing it because we are great responders. So you put us in a situation, she's got a young family and a job where a lot of response is required. We can get really wrapped up in that. And in a situation like what's going on right now, it's really easy to get wrapped up in responding. We're wired for context. We're wired to respond to the context that we see. And we're pretty darn good in crisis. But you need to take a step back and recognize, what do I need here? And what's going on for me? And I can share a very personal experience here. My anxiety level this past week has been up. Way the hell up. Right now, my anxiety level is up at this very moment. This is something I do every week. It's not recording the podcast that has my anxiety level up. It's like the new baseline is elevated. And so any one thing can kind of tip me over that edge. So I'm doing a lot of awareness work. Setting that boundary with my husband was one thing. But obviously, it's not the only thing because my anxiety is still up. So I right now am in the midst of doing that work of what do I need here? What self-care is missing or what boundaries or expectations do I need to adjust? What else do I need to look at here in order to bring anxiety back down to a normal level? And I don't know the answer to that yet. It's just one day at a time, sort of noticing when anxiety spikes and taking that moment like I did with my husband. You know, he started talking and I could feel my anxiety rising. Now, already being pretty anxious all the time right now, I could have just dismissed that. But I took a moment and said, hey, this is something that raises anxiety. And I need to be aware of that. And so my next step is to be aware of what else raises anxiety. What else is causing that response? And to keep on that path until I can get things better in check. So it's a work in progress. Cam and I both have our moments just like everyone else where we in the thick of the stuff we got to work on. And that's my stuff right now. That's well said. And um, I think that working the problem is so key here, is that having that awareness and continuing to engage. I have a client who has a great expression about, she uses a four-letter word. I'm not going to use that here, but we have to assign this as explicit. <laughs> <laughs> but she talks about sort of like being on the in her stuff and on the other side of her stuff and that weekly she's been sort of talking about well there's my stuff and i'm 
I'm staying on the other side. And it is such a job. It is such a work in progress. It is a matter of continuous work. But it's not, you know, the other thing is it's, it's not necessarily fluid and linear and smooth and easy. It's work. It's active work. But in that active work is the, are, are these moments of pause and generating new awareness that leads to this understanding, owning it and owning your part, letting go of the rest and then translating that and doing that many times a day. Not to get caught into, again, this sort of belly gazing, right? Navel gazing. It's the navel moment, but then taking that into how can I steer the boat into smoother waters? Where are those smoother waters that I can get to? Choppy seas, kind of finding those safe harbors, finding that smooth sailing area. It's out there. Finding that. Finding those who want to do that with you. If you're in a group where kind of the whole group is, has a group mentality of elevating the crisis and the emotional output, well, maybe again, developing some kind of expectation or healthy boundary with that group to get your own needs met. Because that's another thing is that uh, that adrenaline, we talk about the adrenaline response cycle, that adrenaline is starting to wear off. We're week, week, week three and week three and week four into this, and we've got several more weeks to go. And so that ability to respond to the crisis, we're not going to have the same amount of, uh, of the ability and bandwidth to respond to that and stay in the urgent mode two weeks from now, three weeks from now. Four weeks from now, sort of finding our cadence here, finding our circles, and then healthy boundaries to, I don't want to say protect those circles. This is not about building a, a castle wall. It's just being mindful of when we bump into each other. Is it a hug or is it a shin kick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you were talking, I remembered actually yesterday... I came to a new awareness about my anxiety. That first awareness was those conversations with my husband where he was talking about what's going on in a pessimistic and concerned way. The second was last night. My daughter was on a Skype call with my business partner. My business partner is basically like another aunt for my kid. They're very close. And so, and my kid is an extrovert. So we're trying to be mindful of that and meet her social needs by doing things like having her video call with her grandparents and with Miss Jennifer, my business partner. But as she was talking last night, she has no indoor voice. So she is downstairs on one side of the house and I am upstairs on the other side of the house and I can clearly hear everything that she is saying. And I'm realizing, man, the noise level throughout the day in the house has really gone up. And a previous awareness of mine is that I'm hypersensitive in the auditory modality. So too much noise 
and competing noise can really make me insane. So between my daughter, who not only is an extrovert and has no indoor voice, but who also thinks out loud. So she'll be down there during the day talking to herself all day. And then my dog, who is normally really <laughs> quiet during the day. Oh, but no, he has this He has this weird thing. So my dog is a beagle. Okay, beagles are freaking loud. But yep. my dog's a pretty quiet dog for the most part. But he has this weird thing where unless it's nighttime and he's in his crate to go to bed, if my husband comes upstairs, now he can go downstairs, he can go outside, he can disappear from view in any other way. But if he goes upstairs, my dog will whine and cry and howl until he comes back downstairs. And I mean, persistently for hours if we let it go on because we thought, okay, maybe if we just let it go, he'll get the hint. No, he has not gotten the hint. And again, normally not a challenge we have because my husband's normally not home during the day coming up and down the stairs doing laundry while he's waiting for code to compile, right? So I haven't done anything about that one yet because I just came to it last night. But there's another example around okay, this heightened level of anxiety, what's going on here? Well, that's one thing that's going on is there's a lot of competing noise in my house that is normally not present at all during the day. And I can't just tell my family to shut the hell up, right? Because they live here too. (laughs) And they're meeting their own needs. But finding some way that works for everyone in the house that I can have those moments of quiet I'm realizing is something that's going to be important for me. I'd like to say that that's a great example. And um, I had a beagle, so I'm, I know beagles. They're so awesome, but they, yes, <laughs> they can be loud. They are loud um, dogs. Yeah. I'll say, I just want to say one more thing as we wrap up here, Feli. And I think, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing. We shared several examples here. And how, again, you know, the person with ADHD can have the boundary challenge, but a person without ADHD can have the boundary challenge too. I think that that's another thing that can happen here is a listener might be thinking, oh, I don't get boundaries. And so I'm sort of, again, either I can't do them or I need someone else to do them for me. My suggestion here is a recommendation is don't. Don't approach this one down. Don't approach this from some kind of lesser position. That to to come at this uh, equally. You may not be great at creating boundaries because boundaries have elements of time. They have elements of expectation. They have elements of role and distinctions all along there. Right, nice neat categories. But that doesn't mean you can't be an equal partner in, in the creation of them where they're necessary. And Cam, I, I will add to that, approach this the same way that you approach this podcast and that we encourage our clients to approach coaching and that it's a learning action model. You may not get the boundary right the first time. The boundary may not work for everyone in your household. The first time. 
But rather than just throwing it out the window, well, that didn't work. Now I just have to deal with the noise level in my house or deal with my husband venting or whatever it is. It's stepping back and saying, okay, what was good about that? What worked? What isn't working for you? What isn't working for me? How can we pivot and adjust and try again or try something different or tweak what we've already tried to make it work better? So it's not necessarily going to be spot on the first time you do it. And we tell our clients that all the time about anything we do, any action we design. It's not that we're looking for the perfect action. We're looking for an action that can give us more awareness. Because whether that first step, that first attempt at a boundary or managing expectations is the exact right solution, or it's the complete wrong solution, or it's somewhere in between. There's learning to be had there. And don't discount the value of that learning because that's where the good stuff really is. And that's how over time you will get to the practices that work for you. Using Skype with my clients, that was a process over a couple of years. That was something I brought to coaching with Cam, my struggle to answer client emails in a timely fashion. And it took a long time for me to really understand my experience with email and what was difficult about it to then know, okay, now I see what type of solution will remove these barriers for me and will make this work better for me. So if you like what we're doing here on the podcast, you can leave us a rating or review wherever you listen. If you have feedback to share, or if there's something you'd like us to discuss that's relevant to the current situation, you can hit us up on the website, translatingadhd.com, or on Twitter, at translatingadhd. We do plan to continue to bring you these more timely episodes as long as we are able to and to continue to release weekly episodes. And if that changes, we will communicate with you. But right now, both Cam and I are thankfully healthy and able to show up every week. And we're grateful for that. And we're grateful for you for sticking with us. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening.